Hello everyone, it's Joanna, and welcome to Sam Magazine. really good. It's really good. It's really good. I'm feeling good. Can you tell? Uh, Another short story for you today. So for new listeners, my name is Joanna Vanderfluck. I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. There are two thrillers and Spy Girls. I don't mention this a lot. Spy Girls, my third thriller, is coming out March 16th. 2024. All right. So it's good to be here. I have another short story. Now I am just going to get right into it and start with this author's bio. All right. So today's short story, Natural Consequences, is written by Lori Wood. Lori Wood is the author of the Heroes of the Tundra series set in Churchill, Manitoba. It is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Google, and Thalia. That's spelled T-H-A-L-I-A. She is also a military wife who's lived across Canada. She and her husband successfully raised two children with Down syndrome who are now a great blessing to them. Her house is full of rescued cats and dogs. Lori is a member of Sisters in Crime International and Sisters in Crime Canada West. She enjoys corresponding with her readers. So her website, lauriewoodauthor.com. Now, Lori, you can spell that a few different ways. L A U. R-I-E, Wood, W-O-O-D, author.com. She's on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lori Wood Readers Group. And on Twitter, she's, well, oh my gosh, I guess it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. Okay, well, on X, it is Lori Jean Wood. Okay, so today's story natural consequences. Um, Just before I get into it, my usual little housekeeping, not any portion of this podcast, this recording can be used for any sort of AI training without written permission from me, Joanna Vanderflug, or written permission from our author, Lori Wood. Now, I have to share one thing with you. I was talking with 
uh, Megan. Oh, I just refer to her as Megan. I've known her for a number of years. She is the CEO of the self-publishing agency out of Vancouver. And, you know, she's, she's doing it all, right? She's the CEO of this amazing company. She has two daughters. And I, I mentioned to her, I said, you know, you're, you're setting such a great example, you know, for your children. And she had said to me, as long as I can keep putting books in their hands instead of TikTok. And I thought that was a great, a great sentence. And I told her, I've got to use that. Okay, our story. Now, just a little bit of a trigger warning here. This story does deal with um, suicide. Okay, so it does involve suicide. So just letting people know before I start. So here we go. Natural Consequences by Lori Wood. I hate the lavender walls in my therapist's office. And that's saying something. I'm well known for my hate. Lavender, lilac, mauve, all pretentious frilly little girl colors, if you ask me. If you want to calm people down, a nice taupe or mushroom should do it. I also hate the extra soft, deep, square chair I sink into on every visit. Feels like my bottom is resting on the floor and I have to leverage my arms to boost myself up out of it. I suppose, being a tiny woman, Anna enjoys having her clients at eye level. Right now, she is peering at me in that tell me more way, her chin tilted up and her left eyebrow cocked ever so slightly. I realize she's asked me a question, but my mind has wandered again. Her hands are clasped together in a gesture meant to be reassuring. I hate that too. I asked how you felt when you found the evidence of Emma's relationship with this boy on her computer. My stomach gurgles. You can't control your autonomic nervous system. It's embarrassing. I press my hands together over my traitorous belly. It doesn't matter how I felt. What matters is how she felt about it all. No one seems to care about Emma or what happened to her. I tear up and grab a clean tissue from the box set conveniently on the coffee table. Everyone's interested in me, but it's all about Emma. I blow my nose. Okay, how was Emma when you confronted her about the number of photographs she'd sent to him? I've told you all this before. Raw anger chokes off my throat. Stupid, stupid woman. I hate her, and I hate coming here. None of it is doing me any good. More tears fill my eyes. It's all there in my file. I fist my hands on the arms of the chair. It's all there. I don't see why I have to go over it again and again. Anna regards me with something akin to empathy. She taps on her tablet so it goes dark 
and puts it aside. Crossing her legs, she leans forward. You must have been angry, furious, distraught. I clench my snotty tissue. Any mother would be if their daughter was sending nude photos to some boy she'd never even met, never even talked to in person. I dab up my nose. They were texting for the entire school year, but she'd never spoken to him on the phone or face chatted or whatever it is the kids do on their phones. I remember the police officer's amazement when I told him this little factoid. A whole nine months, Emma had been in love with this boy, but she'd never seen his face or heard his voice. What was wrong with kids these days? How mortifying. When I was 15, we got in trouble for sneaking out our bedroom windows to meet a boy down at the park. Not for sending nude photos to someone we'd never met. What was the total amount of money she sent to him? Now my lower region is really rebelling. All of that stuff is in the police reports. Aren't you supposed to be dealing with my feelings? I imagine the amount of money you lost has something to do with how you're feeling right now. Anna manages not to sound smug, but I can see it lurking behind her eyes. Does she think I'm a terrible mother because my only child was stealing my credit card? Who has time to check their visa statement every day when they work 70-hour weeks? It was just over $8,500. This boy extorted Emma for $8,500. I cough, but hide it with the tissue. That's right. And when he demanded more, she finally broke down and came to me. I don't mention that she only admitted it when the credit card was maxed out and the company had called me. She came to you. Anna stares at me. I glance down at my wristwatch. She came to me and she confessed everything. We made a plan to find this boy and confront him. You didn't think that would be dangerous for the both of you? Why not let the police handle it? And admit that my daughter was sending off nude photos of herself at 15? I snort, very unladylike. There was no way I was going to have my daughter exposed to more ridicule or abuse. Of course. So what did you do? I shift in my chair. I'm here for help, but I want it on my terms. With Anna, I must be vigilant. I've seen those TV programs where they search for people who suck in teens and women who think they're in love and find out that they're being scammed. I pause. It still enrages me that someone Anna had never spoken to had duped her into falling in love with them. I hired a private investigator to do a reverse search on the social media account this boy was using to contact Emma. We went from there. What does that mean, we went from there? Heaven help me. This woman is nothing but a monkey stuck on repeat. 
I don't even try to keep a sneer off my face. We, the P.I. and I, found out that the boy doesn't exist. His photo came up image error, whatever that means. My P.I. said it could be one of those photos that's being retreaded from a porn or a modeling site. Anyway, when we tried to verify the rest of the information on his Facebook account, that's when we discovered the phone number was registered to Marianne Lefebvre. Anna's sitting back in her chair now. I've told this story to the police at least 14 times. I'm sick of it. Marianne Lefebvre was a fake person too. I sigh. Patience. Patience. Not my strong suit. No, she lives in this little podunk town of Headingley, just outside of Winnipeg. She turned out to be the cousin of the person who was scamming Emma. And how did your PI discover that information? What does this have to do with my feelings? The used tissue is completely torn to shreds now. It flakes of white fluff all over my gray pants. All right, how did you feel when you found out that this woman was also being used in the scam against Emma? I give another unladylike snort. Like I cared about her? She had no idea her cousin was using her phone number just to fill in a blank on the Facebook account. It was a fake account, all right. The real person? My head is pounding. This whole thing has given me dangerously high blood pressure, and now I must take medication for it. The real person, I continue, knew Emma was vulnerable because her boyfriend dumped her last year in grade nine. The real person? I can't bear to say her name her name, because the girl has been in my house, eaten our food, and slept over hundreds of times in the years since she and Emma were in grade one. Anna leans forward. What was her name? I shake my head, hot tears pricking my eyes. I press my lips together as though to keep her name forever silent. I can't. You need to process this. You must try to process this. I don't have to do anything. I just have to come here once a week and sit and listen to you. I swipe the tears from my eyes. What will happen if you say her name? Oh, I hate her. I hate them all. My precious little Emma, so innocent and trusting, so loving and kind, and they took all of that away from her. If I say her name, it means that what happened really happened. Anna is silent for once. Ha! She's probably thinking. I'm finally getting somewhere with her. 
Well, the joke's on her because I've never been in denial or out of touch with myself. I know exactly what I did and why. Sherry Sykes was the PI I'd found by doing an online search. He worked for a defense lawyer up on Main Street, so I figured he knew enough law to help me out. On the day we met, he leaned forward over his paunch and handed me a massive report, typed, double-spaced. It could have competed with any airport bestseller. It gave me names, addresses, dates, and screenshots of Facebook chats. Jerry had been thorough. I'd give him that. Your daughter's been chatting with this boy, who's really a girl, pretty much since school started last September. They've gotten quite, uh, close, it seems. I skimmed down the pages, flipping them over. I couldn't believe what my eyes were reading. Emma had been spilling her secrets to this person, telling him or her about fights we'd had over whether she was mature enough to date, arguments about how she should spend her grandmother's inheritance money. I wanted her to save it for college, and she wanted a car on her birthday in March. She'd even told him or her about how late I hang out at the Red Lion downtown. The sexy photos didn't start right away. These fake catfishing relationships follow a pattern. Jerry's voice floated above my head as I read those messages, revealing all of our family secrets. I was cold all over, which turned to hot, clammy sweat. Why would Emma share all of this with a stranger? Catfishing? I could barely speak. Is that some kind of sex thing the kids do? No, no, no. Jerry's tone was trying to be reassuring, but my chest felt constricted, like the time I had to wear a corset to play Juliet in grade 11. Catfishing is when someone sets up a fake social media account to lure another person into a relationship. The fake person takes their time to get the mark's trust and make them feel safe and secure. Jerry leaned back in his office chair and stroked his balding hair to one side. I've seen this so many times. Good thing you caught on to it when you did. I clutched the report pages in one hand. I can keep this copy. It had every piece of information I needed. Names, addresses, phone numbers. I can help you with your recovery claims court application. Yes, thank you. The thought of the loss of money barely registered with me. It was all our personal conversations, our family facts, our family secrets that were now out there that made my stomach cramp like an accordion. Those sexy photos are going to take some work to see if we can get them deleted. That's probably going to take a court order. I nodded as I smoothed out the pages, folded them, and put them in my purse. 
could you arrange for a court date or do I need a lawyer for that? My voice sounded hollow, even to me. You'll need an excellent lawyer. If you, if you want, I can get Mr. Plawecki's secretary to set you up with an appointment. I cut him off as I stood. I have a lawyer, thank you. I just needed to know the procedure. I held out my hand for him to shake, even as my insides felt like they were going to fall out between my legs from the stress. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all you've done. I'll be sure to give you a five-star review online. Jerry shook my hand with vigor and came around his desk to show me out. That would be much appreciated. Anything else you need or you want me to follow up on, you just let me know. I didn't need Jerry. I phoned Macy Adderley's mother myself the next morning. Our girls had practically lived at each other's houses all through elementary school. I'd spent the night studying every Facebook photo of Macy I could scroll through on her page. It was a revelation. I hadn't seen Macy since the girls were in grade five. Back then, she bloomed with cuteness. Now she was skinny and plain with dirty blonde hair and eyes that could be blue or maybe gray. Her hand covered her mouth and most of her photos because of her braces. She wasn't pretty or overly popular. I counted 458 friends on her page, but who knows how many of them she really knew. She didn't hold a candle to my Emma. Emma shone with an inner light her hazel eyes and dark brown hair came from her dead father, but she had my generous mouth and dimples. I told Julia Adderley we needed to meet because our daughters were failing their teen science project worth 60% of their mark. She agreed to meet me for a brief coffee at the local Starbucks near their high school on Ness Avenue. Julia pushed open the door with a flourish and stood in the center of the coffee house, pulling off her gloves one finger at a time. She hardly looked around the room, but swept up to the counter and ordered a venti caramel macchiato with extra foam. She only saw me at the back when she moved down the counter to the pickup area. I raised my hand like a schoolgirl so she'd recognize me. Julia sat in a rickety plastic chair and tried to look officious. She failed. I really have no idea why you haven't taken this up with Emma, she said. If the girls haven't gotten their work done, that's a job for their teacher. Macy's father and I believe in natural consequences. We don't interfere with her school life. Really? My hands gripped my coffee mug. No disposable cup to wreck the planet for me. So tightly, I thought I'd crush it. Well, you're going to love this story if you believe in natural consequences. I have proof that your daughter has extorted $8,500 out of my daughter by catfishing her online. Julia's brows met in the middle of her forehead and she pursed her lips. I don't know what you're talking about.
catfishing. Isn't that something that middle-aged women fall for when they try online dating? Macy spends her time studying to keep her grades up. She has no time for social media, and even if she did, she wouldn't have a clue how to extort anyone for anything. I pulled out the report, all 289 pages of it, showing every screenshot of their texts, their photos, the photocopies of my credit card transactions, with the cash advances on the monthly accounts. I slapped it down on the table with the anger that clawed up the back of my throat. It's all here. Every sorted little text, every request for sexy photos, the blackmail, the extorting Emma for money, and I tried to rein myself in. And I have a lawyer. I want my money back or I'll take you to court. And I want your daughter to delete every single photo of Emma that she's posted all over the internet. I'll get a court order if I have to. Julia wasn't stupid. I could see in her eyes that her thoughts were chipping past. Could she have done it? Two, how do I do damage control? You can't prove anything came from Macy's computer. She's only allowed to use it for schoolwork. We're quite strict about that. And to suggest she took money? Julia stood up. You're going to need an excellent lawyer. Believe me, my daughter lacks for nothing. I don't believe any of this nonsense, and I'm certainly not giving you any money. I shoved the pile of paper toward her. It's all here. Every single thing Macy did. Pretending to be a boy, by the way. Every single thing she wrote to Emma since the beginning of school. So sit your butt down and take a good look. She wavered a tiny bit staring down at the paperwork on the table. I said, sit down. I finally felt like I was in control for the first time since Emma had come to me in pieces, begging me to pay another installment so her last set of photos wouldn't go out on the internet. Julia sat. She stared at the report as though it were a mess of spiders. What do you mean, pretending to be a boy? I don't believe it. See for yourself. She called herself Owen. Look at the photo she used to suck Emma into a romance. I thumbed through the pages until I got to the fake profile photo. The teenage boy had longish blonde hair on top, flopped down over his eyebrows in a style most girls would find seductive. He had deep blue eyes and a strong chin with a trace of five o'clock shadow. He wore an expensive white sweater with those Irish knit cables. My girl's got good taste, I had to admit. Julia flicked the page with a finger. Eyebrow raised, she said. That could be sent from anywhere. I don't even know where Macy would get the idea to do such a thing. Ah, well, that's a bit of a story. I settled back into my chair. She and Emma, as you very well know, have been friends since grade one. But last summer, they had a crush on the same boy at swimming school. Julia shrugged her shoulders as if poo-pooing the whole thing. Macy isn't allowed to date yet. Indeed. That didn't stop her, though. 
she and this Chris got quite chummy after she'd lied to him about Emma. She told the rest of the swimming class that Emma had said Chris was hooking up with another boy at school. Chris wouldn't believe Emma when she told him it was a lie. He turned to the ever-loving attentions of Macy so that everyone would know he's not gay. Julia looked a bit peaked now. My daughter is innocent. I want my money back. I want those photos taken down from the internet. We can do it without lawyers in court, or we can do it the hard way. You have 24 hours to decide. I gathered up the papers from in front of her and shuffled them into a nice, tight rectangle. They went back into my soft-sided briefcase. As I rose, I said, It seems you have little grasp at what goes on in Macy's life. Look on this as an opportunity to find out. As I left the cafe, I didn't feel the sense of relief I'd wanted from the meeting. I'd expected her disbelief and resistance, but I thought once I'd confronted her, I'd feel some sense of revenge for Emma. Instead, I felt chilled inside. Until those photos came down, Emma was exposed and her future in jeopardy. Julia and Macy had 24 hours, then we'd see what was what. Well, they had 24 hours. That evening, I checked on Emma in her room because she hadn't come down for dinner. She told me she had to study for a history test. When I first opened her bedroom door, all I saw were her books and computer spread out all over her bed. Her pink and gray Martha Stewart comforter and bolster pillows she'd chosen for her last birthday were spread out neatly. The desk lamp was on, as well as her bedside table light, leaving two bright spotlights on her computer. Emma? I came into the room and shut the door, assuming she was in her ensuite bathroom. Emma? Silence. I knocked on the bathroom door. A sliver of light shone under the door, but Emma didn't respond to my call. I'll just be out here, honey, if you need me. I sat on the luxurious comforter and smoothed my hand over its softness. It was so Emma. Her laptop computer was sitting in the middle of the bed, open and resting on her lap desk. I guess she'd been studying after all. I turned it toward me to see what she'd been reading and gasped. I never gasped. It was the sight of my charming, innocent Emma splayed across her comforter in a thong and nothing else. That tore guttural sounds out of my throat. Red letters across the top of the picture shouted, Want some? The Viking football team got some. Emma! I screamed. Emma, where are you? I pounded on the bathroom door 
and it clicked open as though the door hadn't been latched. And there she was, my Emma, my baby, hanging lifeless in her shell. Late November, snow covered the raw ground of her grave in Winnipeg's memorial gardens. I couldn't bear to drive down to visit her there. I couldn't bear to think of her lying beneath that frozen earth and snow. I started a game of parking down the road from the high school on Ness Avenue and watching the girls leave. They had their plates, as girls are wont to do. The popular main girls, the geeky science nerds with their laptops and backpacks, the drama queens with their matching jackets, and Macy. She was always with two girls, girls I didn't know, as though they were her protectors. Macy wore a purple parka with a hot pink hat. The girl never had much fashion sense, unlike my Emma. Macy schlepped along in her oversized winter boots, as ungainly as a drunken giraffe. My game was deciding whether today was the day. Was today a brilliant, sunny day with everything going for it? The day? Or was today a drab, snowy, freezing day? The day. I'd sat there in my SUV for the past 42 days trying to get the right feel. Trying to get the right sense from Emma if this was the right day. Today, it was minus 27 degrees Celsius and the roads were scraped down to the pavement. Ness Avenue is four lanes and the high school is on the north side of the street. We'd had very little snow in the past few weeks, so there were no snow banks lining the streets, just frozen sidewalks and icy patches. You had to watch where you walked. It was 2.40 p.m. and the school bell rang. I watched the students spill out of the doors at each end of the building and flew across the parking lot. Some had cars, some ran for school buses. It took a few minutes to see the popular girls go and the science geeks, but finally, there she was, alone. And I knew, as if Emma were sitting there right beside me and holding onto my arm, that today, today was the day. I pulled away from the curb and followed Macy along the street, just far enough back that she didn't see me. She was hunched over her books, the snow falling gently and kissing her stupid hot pink hat with gigantic flakes. She probably had her headphones on underneath it and couldn't hear a thing. She swung left toward the park, and that's when I knew fate had chosen for me. I clenched the steering wheel, white-knuckled, and floored the SUV. It mounted the curb and flew down the sidewalk toward her. 
The blur of her purple parka hit my windshield and flew over the top of my vehicle. I closed my eyes and rammed into a light standard. Yes, today was the day. You know what happened, I tell Anna. Why do I have to repeat the specifics? Nothing's going to bring back my Emma. Anna checks her watch, even though it's clear from the industrial-sized clock on her lavender wall that our time is up. Perhaps next week we can try again. I know nothing will bring Emma back, but what you did won't bring her back either. She nods at the door and a guard enters. He motions to me to get up, so I do. I put out my hands for the cuffs so he can take me back to my cell. They want me to say I'm sorry, to show signs of remorse, but I'm not sorry. I have no remorse. It was just the right day for natural consequences. That is Natural Consequences, written by Lori Wood. This short story can be found in the Sisters in Crime Chapter West anthology. And that anthology is Women of a Certain Age. Okay, now, I also have another little treat. Lori has just released a novel. Oh, actually, it shouldn't be, I shouldn't say a novel. It's book three in Lori's Heroes of the Tundra series. And she's provided me with a little blurb. So uh, here we go. Uh, this is Northern Protector. It's out now. And this is what it's about. Runaway bride, Lise Dumont, would rather face down polar bears than marry her abusive ex-fiance. When she returns to Churchill, Manitoba, to reclaim her job as a conservation officer, the peace of the tundra finally helps soothe her spirit. Northern Lights helicopter tour owner, Rory Gallagher, isn't looking for a relationship deeper than the one he has with his pet cat. Despite his family's desire for him to settle down and produce grandchildren, Scarred by memories of not being able to save his father from drowning seven years ago, Rory's fine with being alone until Lise blazes back into town and helps talk him down from a helicopter crash. Just as a blizzard closes in, two hardened escaped convicts take them hostage and Lise and Rory are forced to rely on each other to survive. They each must confront their own troubled past if they want a future worth fighting for. Can a relationship born out of life and death mistakes be enough to last for a lifetime? So that's Northern Protector. Like I said, it's book three and Lori's Heroes of the Tundra series. Lori is going to be in the January issue of Sam Magazine. And if you would like to learn more about Lori, again, here is her website. Lori Wood, Lori spelt L-A-U-R-I-E-W-O-O-D, author, 
www.thepowerofthinking.com. And before we finish off, I'm saying a thank you. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you. Oh my gosh, California, Washington State. Oh, there's more out there. I should have written my list of American states that are tuning in. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, British Columbia, for coming in, coming on board. Thank you, Ontario. Mexico, hello. And thank you to Austria, Greece, and the UK, all of you for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy this issue. I just about said this issue, this podcast of Sam Magazine. Okay, bye-bye.